what is good my peoples welcome to another edition of the green beige podcast as always that is aj he is the green i am ken i am the beige and we are here for episode number eight of our third season of the green beige podcast aj how's it going my brother doing well just here is chilling i'm good <laughs> and yourself yeah yeah give her thanks among all things and of course of you know course. Basketball season is back. Mm-hmm. After the the excitement of this past off season, it's time to get back to what actually matters. You know, the games and the quest for another Larry O'Brien trophy. Thirty teams are currently dreaming of what you know, what if, what could be. But we'll get back to to the basketball in a second. Right now, the Philadelphia 76ers they are playing against the Boston Celtics in Boston. And the score is currently 15 all in the first quarter. But like I said, we'll get back to to basketball in a second. Now it was another topsy turvy week in a twisty turny NFL season, as things just they just continue to not go according to plan. So AJ, you know how we do. We go <laughs> off the rip, and off the rip we go four down territory. So let's get started because we've got quite a few things that we want to touch on today. Well, first though, the biggest winner of this weekend is who? <laughs> so when you asked me this earlier, right? I told you because you wanted to make sure I'm guessing that we didn't have the same answer. And I told you that the, the team you asked me about, I did not have. I mean, it was a partial truth because my biggest winner of the of um, that week, this week is three quarter of the NFC East. <laughs> so it's not just it wasn't it wasn't just that one team. It was three of those teams. The division that we used to refer to as the NFC Least, Ken. I, I cannot fathom what's happening. Do you realize currently between the Eagles, the Giants, and the Cowboys is a total of three losses at this point in time of the season? Three losses. Granted, two of those three losses is within the division, right? The only <laughs> The only team to lose outside of the division was the Cowboys, and that was in week one. And we know how those things go at times. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, so that was the opening week when I'm um, lost, sorry, that the boys suffered to the Bucks. And, and it, it was week one. So sometimes you could be excused for like not having everything together, just not being like just all there, right? The Eagles are leading the NFC. And I don't know if you even realized if you had checked the standings, but you know that the Giants and the Cowboys are the top two teams in the wildcard um, race right now, right? At this point, like they are actually one and two. I, I actually, I, I cannot believe what I am seeing. I, I needed to give credit where it's due. It couldn't just be one team. Like this entire division right now is, is it, 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 it has my mind so baffled. So I, I had to say like, based on how everything is going, the fact that the Eagles just beat the Cowboys and it has not derailed the Cowboys season at this point is, is incredulous to me. So, uh, yeah, so three quarters, let me make sure you know that, is three quarters of the NFC East. Well, that is, that is a take that I had not necessarily anticipated because when we had spoken <laughs> about this earlier, I asked, well, I told you that if you wanted to take the Bills because... I figured that the Bills would have been a worthy addition, a worthy contender for the biggest winner of the weekend. But I didn't want to go with the Bills. So 
I actually went with a team from the NFC East. Like you said, <laughs> we can yeah. we can no longer call the East the least because this this is the year of the NFC East's resurgence. The Eagles, as you mentioned, are the number one team in the NFC. They're unbeaten at their boy week. The Cowboys just took their second loss to said Eagles, and the Giants are five and one beating the Baltimore Ravens at home. So I did not check to see that that was the case, but I know that when you look below what's happening in the NFC East, there's a lot of parity. There are lots of teams that are <laughs> three and two it. Yeah. and two and four. <laughs> there are not very many four and two teams, but there's a lot of three and three and two and fours happening in the NFC. So yeah, that that is definitely something to consider. Now listen, the Ravens are still a good team. We're not going to sit here and poo-poo on the Ravens just because they got beat. And on paper, they should have taken care of the Giants. But the G-Men of 2022 aren't last year's Giants, clearly. They find a way to win. The Giants were outgained 406 yards to 238 they found a way to corral Lamar Jackson, who went 17 of 32 for 210 yards with a further 77 yards on the ground. Most importantly, he only had one total touchdown. He also threw one interception late and also lost a fumble. Yes, there's an element of luck. And every team, every Sunday is looking for some luck. Because, you know, they had the bad snap that caused the fumble that Lamar picked up. But the Giants' defense was in position to get that crucial interception. The Giants also were able to rally from 10 points down to come back and win. They went from a five and a half point underdog at home to win by four. Which I'm sure sent their betters home smiling on Sunday. So that was first down. That was the biggest winner of the week. So AJ, now we move to second down. Who gets the gong as having of being the biggest loser of week six? The Packers. <laughs> Green Bay, the Green Bay Packers. Because it honestly feels like the Packers are losing their grip on this division. In in the last few seasons, we've all seen it as like a foregone conclusion that this is the Packers division, right? Uh, no matter how good the Vikings claim to be at the beginning of the season, they can never keep up when it comes to the end. And the other two teams are just a dumpster fire. Right? But it seems like the tide has shifted. And this no longer just feels like, all right, well, yeah, this is just one or two games and the Packers will get it together. Now it feels like they are losing their grip on this division. It began last season uh, in, after that playoff exit then to, to the whole Aaron Rodgers contract saga and then losing Devontae Adams in the midst of that. And then they came back this season and I know most people, I guess myself, not I guess, but myself included, we thought, all right, you know what? They'll be fine. The other teams are not, are not going to do anything. So just by default, they'll win the division. And that hasn't happened. Like the Vikings are playing legit. Vikings are playing legit football at this point. And the Packers are not. It just seems that they... <laughs> Like other people in the NFL at this point, it seems like they're out of their depth. And this is not their division to claim anymore. Losing to the Giants 
over in London is one thing, right? Because to be honest, you, sorry, all that was just a little um, proceed, uh, leading up to what happened eventually this week. But so, uh, like I said, losing to the Giants is one thing because you could kind of factor in um, having to take that trip over the pond, uh, the jet lag that may have been involved. And, and I'm not saying that that's an excuse, but it is a legitimate and feasible reason as to why they may not have been as fresh. But then to come back home, like he, not just back home to the United States, but back home to Green Bay and lose to the Jets. <laughs> I hate to, I hate to have to give the Jets props, you know, but, <laughs> and this is no disrespect to the Jets, right, Ken, but uh, because they are playing really good football, but that's a, it's inexcusable by the Packers. That's a game you have to win based on, on what they're trying to achieve as an organization. That is a game you have to win. You understand? Uh, and and it, it just wasn't good enough. And there's still a lot of season left. So I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily say that they're out of like playoff contention, but it doesn't look good as uh, division winners at this point. It, it, it just doesn't look too good. And, and there are other teams, as you just mentioned, there are other, like there's a lot of parity in the league. And then we talk, we we both just spoke about the NFC East and how they've been looking. Like is it is it is going to, it seems like it's going to be a race to the finish for the Packers to get into the playoffs, but I don't think that they're out of it yet. But it just doesn't look good. What happened last weekend in their hopes of retaining the division title. All right. So you have the Packers as you as the biggest losers this weekend. I actually am, well, I'm still sticking with an NFC team, but I'm going into the West. And my biggest loser of week six is the Arizona Cardinals. Listen, the Arizona Cardinals were supposed to be decent, if not good. Kyler Murray got his brand new $230.5 million contract. That has him, at the time of signing, had him the second highest paid quarterback in the league. And at the start of the season, he was the third highest quarterback being paid in the league. Last season, they brought in AJ Green. They traded for Zach Ertz. This year, they brought in Marquise Hollywood Brown from the Ravens. This team was the best team in the NFC for more than half of last season. This season, they're bottom of their division and just got spanked by the team that we all thought was going to take the season away, the Seattle Seahawks. Geno Smith has to be combat player of the year, while Kyler Murray would be headed to the ignominy of the biggest bust if it wasn't for Russell Wilson, who actually now is the second highest paid quarterback in the league. You do not pay $46 million this season to not score touchdowns. Kyler was 22 of 37, 222 yards, but he lost 51 yards on six sacks. He ran for 100 yards. But his bats combined for 44 yards, AJ. There is something rotten in the desert. And mm. Cliff has to be thankful that Ron and Nathaniel can't hack it in there because he's the third 
most likely coach to get fired after this week. According to Booking.com. Oh, right okay. now, they have Riverboat Run as number one and Hackett mm-hmm. as number two. Most likely to get fired before the end. Well, the next coach to be fired, I should say. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, I honestly thought that... Um, Hackett um, would have been one? Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, I thought Hackett would... That, that's, that's my surprise. <laughs> I thought that the top two would have been inverted. But, all right, cool. No, but I actually would have had Cliff Kingsbury above Ron Rivera. Above Ron. I said for the fact that, you know, Ron and... Anyhow, let, let me not get into Ron. <laughs> uh, uh, his, his, that's, that's what he said, um, segment right there by itself. True. True. So, but we don't have that on the, on the schedule for today, so let's just move on. Third down, least impressive win goes to who? Uh, I ain't gonna lie, right? Usually I could just look at a game out of the state of matches that we had and, and, and pick one that I think was an outright concerning win. But this week it was kind of a struggle. Uh, so I actually picked, and just hear me out, hear me out. <laughs> the most concerning <laughs> win I picked for the week is the Eagles. And, and, and it's not because of anything like exceptionally bad. I just say, um, I say them because of the manner in which they want in terms of like, all right, so I don't want to take anything away from the fact that this is a division rivalry, right? And you know, those games are usually like very cagey affairs. You seldom would see like a blowout, um, especially when two teams are actually have, have like very strong units on the field, right? Um, so it, but it started off in a manner in which it seemed like the Eagles were going to blow the Cowboys out of the water. And then it's they really slowed down, like, a lot, and let Dallas back into the game. And Dallas seemed very comfortable, and it, it seemed like they were on the verge of potentially coming back and at least tying this game and getting it into overtime, right? And maybe even winning it. But the Eagles' defense did well to, to keep the team in the game, and then and during the period when the offense was stuttering. So, so credit to them, because it just shows that they're competing in more multiple phases of the game, right? Um, but I, I, I really thought that they made the game a lot harder than it needed to be, especially given their start. Okay, interesting. The, the one thing that they were pointing out during the game that caused a lot of the issues offensively for the Eagles was Lane Johnson going down which is their right tackle, I think he is. Yeah. So him going down then meant that the backup, who he's a backup for a reason, was not able to hold up in protection to the degree that Johnson was doing it, especially against Michael Parsons. That disrupted a lot of what they were trying to do on offense, which then gave the, um, the Cowboys an opportunity to try to get you know, a foothold back into the game. And that that is a very credible point, and I take that point, because I, I, I did see that too when I was watching the game. And Lane Johnson is a huge loss. But there's another there's another point. I don't want to bring it up here, because it'll it'll come back as, as we get further into the show. Mm-hmm. And I'll mention to you why then I think that this was more concerning than it seems on the face of it. Understood. No problem. So on third down, my least impressive win, 
Ashley went to the Washington Commanders, the same team that we were just talking about with Ron Rivera. <laughs> no, it is incredible that the Commanders would get a name drop reference in pretty much every segment so far. <laughs> but that is the state of the league. Yeah. Now, after that putrid display of football last week with the Broncos and the Colts, the schedule makers found probably the only pairing that could potentially be worse. Washington had less than 100 yards passing. Brian Robinson gave them their only touchdown of the game. The first half literally reads punt, punt, interception, punt, turnover on downs, punt, 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 field goal. <sighs> Their best play, the commanders, of the second half was a muffed punt that put them at the Chicago 6 for the Robinson touchdown. Mm-hmm. Now, I missed 98% of the game. And I'm glad I didn't see any more than the 2% that I did. This is awful. This is absolutely awful. Carson Wentz brought his ring finger on his throwing hand and is now out for four to six weeks, which means that the Heineken man, Taylor Heineke, is back again. Honestly, there is very little to be excited about in the capital, win or not. That's very fair. All right, so that was third down. So now fourth down, AJ. We're going to the biggest surprise of the weekend. We've retired the moral victory as we had to do some mental gymnastics every week to come up with a mental victory. So enough of that. The biggest surprise of the weekend goes to... Welcome, Haynes, personally. Eagles, man, repping. Um, The biggest surprise is... God, it can only be the Jets. And I mentioned the Jets enough for the night, like I feel. So I, I don't feel like speaking too much, too much longer. So here goes. They won in Green Bay and I didn't expect it. The end. <laughs> okay. That's, that's a lot more succinct than I expected. So. No one, t- no one talking about the Jets. Okay, fair enough. Now, my biggest surprise of the weekend actually goes to a person not a team actually let me take myself off of full screen because i want i want to see your response when i say this my biggest surprise of the weekend goes to mitchell trubisky looking like a competent quarterback <laughs> in relief <laughs> of the conquest kenny pickett you you win that one <laughs> you win you win that one Ken. <laughs> yeah trubisky I was not expecting that I knew. I know that. I just. I didn't even ask you a question because I know you couldn't have picked the same thing. To yeah, be yeah. clear, the Steelers probably do not win the game this weekend if Trubisky does not come in, because Pickett was not getting the job done. Plenty of criticism has been earned this season by Matt Canada, and his play calling and offensive coordinating. Trubisky also earned his benching for small hands picket. So who would have thought 
that he would have come back in and looked like a credible quarterback. 75% completion percentage, 144 yards, one touchdown. QBR of 91.2 out of 100. A passing rating on the day of 142.4. Now, of course, the Buccaneers were complicit <laughs> in this storyline. But that's a storyline for another day. Now, Dale agrees with you that the Jets were his biggest surprise of the weekend. But, yeah, well, we would not have expected that the Jets would have won that game. No, Mr. I like, Social I like a himself. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Sosa doesn't say himself was nine of twelve for 144 yards and a touchdown, no interception. Yeah, yeah. Against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's a game that yeah. the Pittsburgh Steelers had no right. They had absolutely Facts. no right in winning. Facts. All right, so AJ, we are done with the four downs. So now we move on to some news. Perennial NFL deep threat and journeyman Deshaun Jackson has been picked up by the Baltimore Ravens for the rest of the season. It is said that teams like Baltimore, who have shown a dereliction of duty towards their, their quarterback, well, sorry, it is said that their teams like Baltimore, who have shown a dereliction of duty towards their quarterback and getting him a quality receiver, you know, they finally made a move. But the question is, does it matter? Oh, it, it <laughs> most certainly does not. I, I bro, I, anytime I see like this, just it reeks of utter desperation. Like, but what are what are they do? What what exactly is happening over there? I, you know what? I don't want to go off on a on any any kind of mini rant. I just don't understand their recruitment strategy for the wide receiver room. Right? I understand that. They they have some young talents there. Like Rashad Bateman, I, I think he's 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 good. Um, um, Devin Duvernay, even though he's more special teams, he's he's proven a, 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 a good deputy when Bateman has been down for these few weeks. Like they're decent. I I, I won't say they're necessarily like bona fide wide receiver ones, but they've been doing a, a good enough job, right? Mm -hmm. These men just refuse to get an actual wide receiver one into this building. They clear. They refuse to. I know the Sean Jackson for real. I, it, it, it. I would not feel as strongly about this if it was a team that was bringing in the Sean to be like a, a D Jackson rather than me say it to be like a number three or three B even. You understand? But in Baltimore's case, like, what, what, come on, guys, where does it end? Where does the tomfoolery end? Really, <laughs> D Jacks at this point, it, this will make absolute. I can't see this making a difference, Ken. Djax might ball out for like two or three games, and then most likely, I'd, I'd, let me not put that into the universe, but I don't think that he is going to be effective for the remainder of the season or for the, a lengthy enough period that the Ravens will need him for, for which the Ravens will need him, rather. It, I don't see it happening. I don't. Okay. So here's my thing where this is concerned. It could matter. It could. It could. The reason why I say that it could matter is because when you're looking at what the Ravens have or do not have, or what they have lost this offseason, coming into this season, 
Marquise Hollywood Brown actually mattered in that offense because he gave them a deep threat that would open up the underneath both for the running game that Lamar is very, very involved in as well as giving Mark Andrews more room to operate because you have somebody who is able to take the top off the defense. Now, Djax is advanced in years. He's not young and spray as he once was, but apparently he's still a burner. He is still plenty fast. So the fact still remains that him being able to get down the field and Lamar does have the arm strength to get the ball down the field, you have to account for him. There is an opportunity for them to hit some passes down the field with Deshaun Jackson, which suggests that they do have an opportunity to build on what they've been doing offensively. Nobody is going to complain about having more room. So let's get them more room. So from that perspective, it could. But we also know that Djax has had a history of fragility. And his fragility, I'm sure, is what has you most concerned. So we will see. We, we will see how this goes and if this is actually newsworthy. You know, we will review this later on in the season. I, I just I just don't buy it. The man hasn't he's getting older. As you said, he has a history of fragility and he hasn't been playing football regularly in the last few seasons. I just I understand schematically how you're saying he, he can he can affect uh, um the the team in a positive sense. I just don't buy it as yet, Ken. I have to see it to believe it. I, I I'm buying low on this stock. I really am. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, as we've talked about one wide receiver, now we have to get to the biggest wide receiver news of the weekend, and that is the Robbie Anderson saga. Now, Robbie is an interesting story, which yeah, I'm actually gonna go full screen for this little this little mm-hmm. bit here that I have written up. Uh, Robbie is an interesting story, which began in the summer of 2022, when he was the starting wide receiver for the Carolina Panthers. When it was rumored that the Panthers might have been in for Baker Mayfield, Robbie first said, No! Which was with six no's. Sorry, six O's. And then, (laughs) when the comment was made that he didn't want Baker, he simply replied with facts. On July 6th, he tried to walk it back by in the press conference saying that he doesn't have an Sorry. I quote, I don't have an issue with Baker. Stop trying to paint that narrative. He also, in the press conference, said that it was not about Baker, but he was just trying to be a good teammate and backup and represent the then starting quarterback, Sam Darnold, as opposed to going against Baker. Now, when the trade was, you know, consummated between the Panthers and the Browns, many hoped that this would now be the end of the tale for Robbie, Baker, and the Panthers. The season would start, and five games in, Robbie had 12 receptions for 174 yards. And then this Sunday happens. 
One reception, 32 yards, and Robbie is getting in the face of his positions coach, where he then gets benched and then gets kicked off of the field by his head coach, Steve Wilkes. Fast forward 24 hours, and Robbie is a cardinal. AJ, what do you make of all of this? I'm still laughing. Uh, so, heated exchanges on the sideline, nothing new, right? They've been around, they'll continue to be around. In this case, however, the fact that the head coach is the one who threw his wide receiver out of the game <laughs> and not the ref, this is, oh my, this is, this is gold. Um, like I said in the chat, I, I'd only seen the clip of, of Robbie being escorted off of the field, right? So I thought he was ejected because I, I ain't going to lie to you. I was like, I had that game on in front of me, but I think it was muted or something like that. So I wasn't necessarily like in into it or whatever. I, I know I wasn't watching that game intently. So I just seen the clip and I was like, damn, well, I wonder what he got ejected for. But I didn't care too much to check it at that point. But upon learning... <laughs> When I learned that it was Will's decision to do so, I immediately thought, first thought, Ken was like, I'm like, all right, well, his time in Carolina is over. It's over. What I did not expect was that it would end that swiftly. <laughs> I didn't think the man would be out in 24 hours, big man. But that entire situation didn't last as long as a cold. Listen, um, <laughs> and I, I think also, though, it was an extremely fortuitous situation for Robbie Anderson because Arizona had just lost um, Hollywood Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was such a messed up thing because they literally, like that, that poor fella got injured on the very last play of the game, a Hail Mary um, shot, deep shot, uh, and going up and came down awkwardly. That's it. Not even during regulation, like just in the last play of the game, right? So he goes down and then... Carolina basically signaled their intent to tank for the season by letting it be known that they're considering offers for Christian McCaffrey. So it just means that no one else was safe. Like, because if you're willing to get rid of, of your, of your star boy, then obviously you could get rid of anyone else. They're trying to stock some draft capital. So it worked out for that. The one team that needed the services of Robbie Anderson. Well, there was a team yeah. I need the services of, Ro- of Robbie Anderson. And they have, at this point, no need for draft capital. So everything just fit in well for him. So Robbie's a lucky boy. He is a lucky boy. And, and at this point, he might actually be able to play with a talented quarterback. And mind you, this quarterback is not having the best season. But in terms of raw talent, he's better than the ones he's, he, Robbie would have had in the past, i.e. the Sam Darnolds and the, and the Baker Mayfields and whoever else he had before. The Jets, because Sam was Jets and then went to the Panthers with him, and you know all that. And I think Cam was in there at some point too. So, <laughs> so uh, it it seemed like it was just a win 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 for everyone involved. But I still really laughing at how quickly that happened. Huh? <laughs> yeah, the the speed of it all. This is probably the fastest trade I've ever seen or heard of ever. in the NFL. Ever, ever. The man got kicked out again yesterday, and then by midday, sorry, not yesterday, on Sunday, and by midday Monday, he was a cardinal. It was you, done. You, you want to you hear a joke? When I saw 
the notification come through, right? I checked the phone. Can I actually went? I was like, wait. I was looking intently at my screen to make sure that I wasn't watching a, a, a parody page. Because <laughs> I, I could not. I saw NFL.com and I'm seeing the little tick next to it. I was like, wait, this thing for real? And I was staring intently. Like, I, I really could not believe that that happened so quickly. That is extremely funny, big man. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. So my take on this is very similar to yours in some ways. And then, of course, there are going to be some differences. No, I just... As we have both agreed, Carolina got bailed out by Arizona having a need at wide receiver. Mm-hmm. This was going to be a mess of epic proportions in Carolina that would have been fun to watch. Rule is already gone. Baker is hurt. Sam Darnold been hurt since preseason, and now PJ Walker is starting. It is a complete mess. It is an absolute mess in Carolina. And I honestly hope that it doesn't end anytime soon. Because there's also a bit of mess happening in in New Orleans. So being able to laugh at Carolina makes me feel a whole lot better about life. But hold on, you know that PJ did get injured in that game as well. Or he, he had to be pulled from the game apparently. Yes, I did see that. That he, And then Jacob Jake Jacob Eason or whatever. Yeah, he had to end up coming in. Yeah, because I think PJ went back into the game and then the doctors basically called down to the field and was like, nah, we need PJ to come out. So then he was pulled from the game. So yeah, it, it, it might be more joy for you yet. <laughs> That's all. That Obviously not saying that we take pride in men being injured, but just from a rivalry perspective, watching another team fall apart. That's all. That's all, guys. That's all. Yes, that is absolutely correct. <laughs> I do not wish injury on anyone, but when the team is struggling because players are unavailable, then, well, at least I won't be last in my division. <laughs> All right, AJ. So now over to you, sir. Overreacting much. All right, time for some overreactions and non-overreactions. So we just spoke about a sideline squabble that escalated and eventually culminated in a trade. There was another sideline um, moment from this weekend, last weekend, rather, that went viral. And this one featured the GOAT TB12 himself, visibly upset and berating his O-line as they were sat on the bench. So there were some mixed reactions to this on Al Gore's internet. So Ken, where do you stand? Do you think Tom screaming at his O-lineman knowing that cameras are around is a bad look or is that an overreaction? It is not an overreaction. AJ, I know Tom Brady is your boy, right? But your boy is a habitual perpetrator of displaced aggression. When the game is going badly, he will shout at teammates. He will break tablets. He will even get teammates suspended. Looking at you, Mike Evans. Tom retired. And then decided he was coming back. Tom missed time in training camp. Tom didn't play in preseason. Tom doesn't practice on Wednesdays. Tom now has a new O-line. But he also has these marital issues that are a distraction for him off the field. And all of the time that he is taking away from the team and practicing with said new offensive line is not going to work in their favor. And now 
he is all up in their face telling them they need to do better when he is missing throws that he should be hitting that's not on the line tom if you're sailing the ball over men's heads or just putting it out of their reach that is on you you know how you like your clean pocket and for the majority of the time you don't the things don't get that muddy around you unless you're playing the saints but again tom and his displaced aggression this is what he does he needs to accept accountability for his errors and his mistakes i mean it brings to mind i mean it feels like it really feels like we take shots at russell wilson and the broncos a lot i mean they earn a lot of them to be fair but russ you don't see russ getting on his teammates like this even though he didn't play preseason even though he is currently dealing with injuries even though he has been struggling all season and his offensive line could be playing better he isn't reacting in the way that tom is tom needs to cut this crap out he needs to stop fighting and cussing at people and look in the mirror when he is the one that is struggling you made some very valid points but i humbly disagree this is a huge overreaction no no it's a huge overreaction and and i don't even think it's a debate i'll tell you why because we just spoke about how heated teammates and coaches could get on sidelines especially when things aren't going their way right i don't think tom is any different you like this is his personality at the mic is usually to be more soft-spoken and humble like he he's not braggadocious or he's not loud mouth at the mic or anything like in, in terms of interviews but the guy's a competitor and he's known to have these sorts of angry reactions on the sideline. The thing is, he still commands, even with this, he still commands a level of respect from every teammate that he's had. Like, I, 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 to my knowledge, and I'm not I'm, I'd love to hear if you have heard differently, but I haven't heard any teammates coming out and saying that they don't like the way Tom speaks to them. Like, there's a, there's a, a measure of respect. Everyone understands that he's earned his way to this place. So when he's talking to them, it's because he's been through it. It, it may not look good because things are going away and you, you mentioned like all the stuff that like him not like having a new o-line and he missing throws and all of that and the marital issues all of that may be well and good but we know that tom brady studies we know that tom brady's never satisfied even when people say he has a good game he thinks that yeah well there were throws i missed so i know for sure we both know for sure he's going home and studying tape and trying to fix what he can do i'm trying to fix the things that he's doing wrong but in terms of this, I don't think it's a big deal at all because it happens. And that's how he is. That's how he is on the sideline. He's not a bad teammate. He's never been called a bad teammate. And, and, and even when I was preparing this, right, this was before I heard this statement this morning. But, I mean, we, we know this. This is how he fuels up his teammates. It's how he does it. And I, I've never heard a teammate come out and speak against it or say that they have an issue with it. It's like you're playing with this man. He tries to get you up to a, a particular standard, and there's no issue here. See, so this is and this is where my this is where my issue is, right? Because clearly there is an issue. Because if there was no issue, then no one would talk about it. You, you are the oldest man in the league, so yes, you might feel that you can father and grandfather everyone, right? 
But at the end of the day, all of these men are professionals. They all take pride in what they do. And when you are not playing up to the standard that you have set for yourself, how dare you get in my face and make it seem as if it is my fault that you are not performing at the level that you should? No, that there is something wrong let with me, that. Let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. If mm-hmm. if Kobe God rest his soul had a bad game and he was on the sideline telling his his Lakers teammates that they needed to step up. You think any anyone in Lakers had a problem with it? And I'm talking about like even latter let, let me say latter career Kobe. If MJ at the Wizards was having a bad game and he told his teammates on the sidelines that that they need to play better, you think anyone would have a problem with it? I they think when you but you, they're not going to say anything to him. But, at the but that's the point. I, I I don't think that they even look at it that way because it's like, listen, this guy has been through it already. This is we are talking about the greatest player of all time. We're talking about the greatest in this sport, or, or if not the greatest, one of the greatest, or whatever. Like, either way, a great, a legend in this game. If he is saying something and he's is is the, these guys have that kind of mentality. When you are a leader and when you are that great, you don't have a passive mentality on the sidelines. When things are not going that, you're not like, all right, guys, well, you know, we'll get them in a second. No, you bark and you scratch and you cuss if you need to because that, that's what gets people up. And if you're not, if you're not ready for that, well, and, and you watch the last dance. MJ said that uh, if, you, if you don't want to play that way, well, cool, don't play that way. But that, that's how he did it. That's how the greats do it. I don't see an issue with this at all. It's not the first time he's done it. If any of the teammates have an issue with it, then they probably, uh, any of the, those O-line men have an issue with it, then they probably are playing for the wrong franchise. So only just, the only thing I'm going to, because I don't want to prolong this 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 point any, any further, but the only thing that I would um, issue a correction with regards to was when MJ was on the Wizards, his teammates had issues with how he was behaving. And they may not have said it to him in the moment, but they were glad when he retired again and left. That's fair. But I, I was just drawing the reference just to, to, to compare like those guys in the latter, the twilight years of their careers. We could, we, I, I could have mentioned the Bulls too, but either way, let us gracefully move on. <laughs> let me transition from Tom and talk about the last team to beat him in a Super Bowl, the Philadelphia Eagles. Right, so they won again. They're six in a row, only a beaten team on top of the NFL. Um, no matter how you slice it, the Eagles are a great team. So is it time to start admitting that the Eagles are a serious Super Bowl contender again, or is that an overreaction? It is not an overreaction, as much as it pains me to say that. You cannot look in the NFC right now and see another team that is executing at the level of the Eagles. They are playing like the best team in the NFC and all three phases are working. The biggest challengers to them right now are apparently in their division. Who would have thought? Until we see quality opposition or the Eagles' standards of play falls off, we have to consider them as contenders at least to reach the Super Bowl. And of course, once you get there, as the Philly Special showed us, anything can happen. I'm glad you ended on that note. 
because that's part of the point I'm going to make. And I'm going to disagree with you again. I think it's a slight overreaction. And I'll tell you why. So I did mention earlier that there was something I wanted to get into with regards to the Eagles, right? Mm -hmm. Because I mentioned them as my most concerning win. And, and bec they, because there was a reason behind it. No. I said that the Eagles had struggled in the second half after running rope, no pun intended, in the first half, right? So let me share a stat with you here. The Eagles so far this season are averaging 21 points in the first half of games and 5.8 in the second half. Throughout the six-game stretch. Yes. Yes. 5.8 points in the second half. Now, granted, I'm not trying to take away from how well they have played so far. And, and as you said and I said before as well, they are excellent in all phases of the game. In, in, in general, generally speaking, right? But since we're talking about Super Bowl contenders, I'm not I'm fully convinced of a team that always seems to make it a tale of two halves, right? Also, they're literally like a single game ahead of two other teams in the NFC. So what's stopping us from saying that those two teams are Super Bowl contenders as well? And I'm not convinced that those other two are. <laughs> I, I, I haven't heard about them being in that Venn diagram. But so, I mean, I, the Eagles can't be there alone so simply mm -hmm. because of the record. It, I, at the end of the day, I can't take away from what they've been doing. And, and with a 6-0 record and being the only team with that record at this point in time, I understand where the narrative would come from. But I still don't think so because of that stat I just shared with you. Like, to, to overcome, because you mentioned your last point was that once you get to the big dance, like anything could happen. And it, that is true about the playoffs as well. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's one game win or go home and if if you can't correct something like that they have been very they have I, I want i don't want to say lucky because they've been playing well enough to earn their victories but at the same time this is something you need to correct when you get to the postseason because you're not going to scrape by teams every single week scoring 21 first half points and then scoring less than a touchdown in the second half it can't work it's not sustainable so for that reason i'll say it's a slight overreaction Okay. No problem. I, the, the, there was a thought that came to mind, but mm. it's not really, it, it does not supersede your statement that okay. what they're doing in the second half is not sustainable. Okay. So, because the Eagles right now have the highest point differential in the second quarter of games. Second, I think yeah. It's like plus 77 or some ridiculous number. I, like I, saw, I saw that as well, that, that this, they are blowing teams out of the water in the second quarter. In the second but quarter, then, but then it's yeah. an entire half to come. So when when you put it like that, then that is that is something to be concerned about. Yeah, and, and granted, I did say only a slight overreaction yes. in this case. Just a slight. Mm -hmm. Okay, so mm -hmm. one of those, uh, moving on to the next, um, one of those aforementioned five and one teams is much more of a surprise than the other, right? The New York football giants are leading the NFC East, having lost a single game for the season. A feat that none of us expected at this point, right? Mm -hmm. That's Brian Dable seems. Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, without doubt. Um, Brian Dable seems to be uh, like a breath of fresh air for the G-men. Like the team actually looks well coached, and more importantly, they look confident. So, Ken, do you think that Brian Dable is a leading candidate at this point for head coach of the year? That is definitely not an overreaction. I absolutely agree that Diabol right now is the front runner for coach of the year. Now, when Diabol was hired by the Giants, I had said, you should remember this. I said that the main reason they brought him in 
was the way he was able to develop Josh Allen, and they were yeah. hoping that he would be able to work similar magic with Daniel Jones. With, mm-hmm. So far, we can't say that it's been a resulting success in that regard, <laughs> if we were being fair. <laughs> but, but the team has responded to him and his coaching staff. They are a battle-tested 5-1. and one. They have not had any easy games so far this season. And his biggest opponent right now in that sweet state, in my opinion, for coach of the year, is Nick Sirianni with the Eagles, who are undefeated. But if I had to vote between the two of them, especially looking at where the teams were last season and the improvements made this season, Debo has my vote. Oh, we are on par with this one because I don't think it's an overreaction at all. I feel like at this point, like you said, he has to be the front runner. Um, the Giants didn't make like significant offensive moves in the manner that the Eagles did f- with Jalen Hurts, nor do they have a veteran quarterback <laughs> with one of the best wide receivers or, ta- or one of the better tandems in the league, like, like um, Minnesota, right? Mm-hmm. But somehow, like Coach Gordon Bombay of uh, the Mighty Ducks, Brian mm-hmm. Dable has managed to turn this ragtag bunch of misfits into a functioning football team with nary an addition of quality. I mean, you have to admit, though, that Saquon being fit is, is a major factor for them. But otherwise, they've had injuries, especially in the wide receiver room. Right? The, the guy that they're paying, when he, when he is paying, he can't catch a ball. And that's like once every Haley's comment. Um, other than that, like Sterling Shepard went down. I think they feel like they lost somebody else as well. But it's, it, it's, it's been a carousel at wide receiver for them, but they are still grinding out wins. More so on the back of Saquon, but it's, as you said, battle and tested, and, and they, they are doing it. So for me right now, Brian Dable has to be ahead of his contemporaries. Mm-hmm. And since we agree there, I will just move on rather swiftly. So in week six, my Pats racked up their second win in a row this time. It was an impressive and comprehensive 38 to 15 victory against our old boy Jacoby Brissett and the Browns over in Cleveland. So I must mention as well that the win for Coach Belichick now ties in with George Hallis um, at joint second all, for all-time wins as a head coach, like regular season, postseason. So kudos there, Bill. Um, yeah, an amazing achievement, to be honest. Only behind, they're only behind um, a Shula right now. Um, mm-hmm. So either way, that win was due in large part to the rookie QB, Bailey Zappi who has deputized extremely well in Mac Jones's absence. Mac is still out due to an injury, and as is expected, the headlines are saying that now there's a quarterback controversy in New England. So do you think Mac, Jobs, Mac Jones's job is in jeopardy due to zappy hour, or is that an overreaction? You know, you see, this is one of the things about your team that, that always annoys me slightly and you you're forcing me to answer this question but this is not an overreaction mark jones has not looked like a quality nfl starter thus far in his career i think we can both agree on that and as much as even like jason reed would like to you know be pulling for mark jones he has not had it this is year two and mark jones seemed to have been headed for a sophomore slump instead of a success before he got hurt. In the three games he's played, he's had 786 yards, two touchdowns, and five interceptions. That is not the mark of a franchise quarterback. It really feels to me like Jones is about to get Drew Bledsoe. 
And what do I mean by Drew Bledsoe? Bledsoe was a starter who got hurt. And in came a young, fresh-faced Tom Brady who took the reins of the offense and never let go. I, I actually liked Drew Bledsoe. I was very upset about that. And that's probably one of the reasons why I have never been a fan of Tom. Probably. Mm. Oh, doing some deep therapy here. I didn't. I never heard you say that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was that was one of the main reasons why it was very much against Mr. Brady. Now, Brady Zappi is the 2022 Tom Brady in this regard. Now, to be fair, Jones has had the much more difficult games, granted, but the offense has looked and felt more dynamic with Zappi than under Jones. It was. Announced that mac and cheese would return to the top of the menu whenever he is fit. But unless he gets his act together and soon, he will be replaced by the zappy hour. Okay. Um, so you kind of mentioned like more long term. And in, in that sense, okay, that's, I guess that's kind of different to how I was thinking about it. Because I'm thinking, I was thinking more like in the immediate, if, if his job is in jeopardy in the immediate. And I think that's an overreaction. And I'll tell you why. Um, I just find it hard to believe that Maka will be ousted that easily, right? Because, uh, and you mentioned, the truth is that, that with Bailey Zappi under center, our offense looks more dynamic. Like, every, everyone is clicking a lot better. Hunter Henry just had, like, a Chargers Hunter Henry type of game. Haven't seen that in a while, right? Um... But I, I still think there's a little bit of politics that comes into play here. Matt Jones is the first QB that Bill has drafted in the first round. And Bill drafted quite a few, B, uh, a few QBs in his time uh, at New England, right? Putting that much faith in Mac, uh, to, enough faith to use a first-round draft pick on him, it shows me that Bill is going to put more faith in him to get it right. I, that's just the way I feel about this. I, Bill didn't make a move in the offseason for a quarterback because... He wanted to hand over the keys to the offense to Mac. And while Mac has not repaid Bill's faith, it, it, it kind of, to me, seems too far-fetched that he's, he's going to lose his job after a couple of games. Not couple, but after a few games. He was missing due to injury, but I, this team, I, I believe, is still his to lead at this point. So kind of tying back into what you said, his job may be in jeopardy in the future, but I think in the interim... Once he gets back in, he's, it's, it's, his job is safe for the time being. Okay. I'm not going to argue with you about your team. You're going I know. You just, you just don't want to talk about the Pats anymore. I know. <laughs> all right. So, oh, all right. Here is the big one. Here's the big one. So, because I know this is one of your, these are one of your guys you're talking about, right? A Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes rematches what the entire footballing world wanted to see ever since that divisional game in the last playoffs. The game that felt like unfinished business. When it was announced that the Chiefs and the Bills were squaring off during the 2022 regular season, it immediately became the most highly anticipated game of the season. After a slow burner during the game, that is, we eventually got down to crunch time, which uh, we're it had to be like Josh versus Patrick for the game. And Josh Allen was able to put his team on top in the end. Um, Josh Allen has been on a tear this season. And, and he's most likely leading the MVP race at the moment. So are you convinced, Ken, 
that Josh Allen is currently ahead of Patrick Mahomes in the QB pecking order in the NFL? Or do you think that that storyline is an overreaction? No, that storyline is definitely an overreaction. <laughs> definitely an overreaction. <sighs> so what I will say, though, is that this is the closest it has ever been between the two of them. From a fantasy perspective, you honestly can't go wrong if you pick either of them. But the dependence on Josh Allen makes him the more attractive prospect. Now, the two of them actually feel like two different sides of the same discussion of what makes a good NFL quarterback. Allen is more willing to run and get out of the pocket than Mahomes. But Mahomes, in my opinion, does more as a passer than Allen. Allen has a rocket arm while Mahomes is more crafty and able to deliver the ball in different ways then Mahomes is a league MVP. He is a, a Super Bowl MVP. He is the Super Bowl champion. Until Allen is able to match up with those things. And yes, as you said, right now he is looking like the front runner for the MVP. And there's absolutely no reason to think that he's not going to be able to sustain this because he's spreading the ball around. He's getting more receivers involved rather than trying to force feed Stefan Diggs all of the time even though he is passing to Stefan Diggs a lot of the time um but yeah we until we get to the point where we see Josh Allen be able to take that step and do the things that Patrick Mahomes has done which is quite about his team to the Super Bowl win the Super Bowl and obviously, because of their dependence, he will be Super Bowl MVP anytime they do win it. I am still going to stick with my guy, Patrick Mahomes. I don't think that any part of this is an overreaction. I don't. And I, I, I really believe that right now, Josh Allen is the big kahuna. And it might not be in terms of accolades, but psychologically, right? Uh, you mentioned everything that Patrick Mahomes has achieved and no one can take that away from him. He was he was almost like a shoe-in for the AFC Championship game in the last four seasons. But let's be honest, the guys are neck and neck when it comes to talent, though. Like they have loads of talent. And in the you you mentioned that like the subtle differences, but in the grand scheme, they both have a big arm, they both have uh, some level, measure of mobility and a, a, a high enough IQ to play the position, right? The only thing that I, I think Mahomes, and you kind of mentioned it as well, that Mahomes really does that much better is make them little circus throws and, you know, but that doesn't necessarily make him a better quarterback because that's like saying that one footballer better than another because he could dribble better. We know that that's not the case. But last year, when Josh and Mahomes faced off in a divisional game, it went toe-to-toe. -to -toe. And, and hold on, I know I had the stats here. So let me, let me make sure and get this correct, right? So last year in that game, specifically, Josh Allen was 27 and 37, 329 yards, four touchdowns, no picks. Patrick Mahomes, 33 of 44, 378 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Basically, not, not much between the two, right? And we know what happened. Um, Chiefs went on to win the toss in overtime. Uh, and then, yeah, they went on to win the game because they scored on that first possession, which is why I said unfinished business, right? That led to an entire rule change because it, it, it felt like the entire world knew 
that if Josh Allen had the ball back, uh, the Bills were probably going to go down the field and score as well. In any case, so we know we fast forward to last weekend, the rematch, and again, toe-to-toe. And when they needed to make plays in crunch time, it was Josh Allen that did. And Patrick Mahomes threw a pick. And it was no one else's fault. I didn't want to hear anything about anyone else doing this or that. It was no one else's fault but, but his. And I also have to mention this too. This is not to come down on the Chiefs. But you see, this is why I don't feel sorry for some for, for players when, when they like to be about calls. Chris Jones last week was in his feelings about, about uh, a call that he didn't get. And it was a bad call. But this, this week, last week, yeah, yeah. But last week on against the Bills, the, the referees missed a call that he, because he tripped Josh Allen and they did not see it. I don't know if you saw that play, but he tripped him. And then it, it oh, was yes, not called. Oh, yes, I didn't see that. Right, right. And I think, and they call it a sack or whatever the case was. Or they, either way, they, they, the, the Bills had the turnover possession because of it. Still ended up winning. But anyway, I digress. Now, the thing is, Tom has been the only one who's, who so far has been able to be like more efficient than Patrick Mahomes when they squared off. More efficient, that is. But in terms of matching stats and like being able to go toe for toe, like it's only Josh Allen that has been able to do it. Yeah, you, you know how the old adage goes. To be the best, you have to beat the best. And Josh Allen has done it. I think Mahomes was the undisputed number one for the last four seasons. But that game over the weekend, it, it sort of confirmed a lot of suspicions. Patrick Mahomes is beatable. And symbolically, it seems like the torch has been passed for that top dog position. Josh Allen got that dog in him. He got that dog in him, Ken. Psychologically... So it feels like Josh is number one right now. So here's where my pushback to this will come. And this is what you always tell me or you have told me since Tom Brady came into my division. You win when it matters. This is the first time Josh Allen has been able to get the better of Patrick Mahomes in the regular season. He has not been able to get the better of him in the postseason. In the postseason is when it matters the most. That's what you always tell me, don't you, AJ? So from that perspective, until, until we get back into the postseason, we see what happens because based on the fact that, you know, the Chiefs lost this game to the Bills, the Bills will have the tiebreaker should they finish with identical records and then home field will go to Buffalo and not back to Arrowhead. So we could see this game replay again in the playoffs, but this time at Orchard Park. And then we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens then. But until then, until then, it's still I, I, I appreciate I think that's a very, very cunning and strategic move to try to use my words against you, against me. Of course. But I'll show you how that is different to what I was saying. My point about that is, especially when it comes to quarterbacks, is making plays. When, when it comes down to it. And my issue, what I was telling you is that the reason why I was saying so is because I know that when it comes down to making plays in those crunch times, Tom Brady could have done that and Drew Brees couldn't. The thing is, I don't think that Josh Allen is unable to make those plays. It's last season in that divisional game, it wasn't like he didn't make plays. He didn't have enough. He didn't have as much time as, as Mahomes did. Because I just showed, I just, I just read out the stats to you in regulation. Well, in the game itself. They were neck and neck. It's not like he couldn't make plays, but he didn't have he didn't have enough time. Like because of a rule, because of a rule, we actually don't know if if he was unable to make the play. 
because he didn't get the, the opportunity to do so, which brought about that entire rule change. But this time, this time around, he went toe-to-toe -to -toe again, and when, and when plays needed to be made, it was him that was making the plays and not Patrick Mahomes. That's why I said, that's why I said that to me, right now, it is Josh. Until we see it in the playoffs, <laughs> he will not get that crown from me. I don't. I never expected you to say that. That's, that's why I saved this one for last. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk, that, I think that is an excellent point. That is actually one of the topics I had for this overreaction, but that he decided to leave it out because we had limited time. But that is one of the things. I, I do think that Tyreek Hill is a big absence, but we could save that discussion for another time. Yeah, yeah that's, that is a conversation all on its own because Indeed. i think it's a lot more nuanced than just saying tyree hill not there no the chief yeah it is more yeah yeah it's definitely more nuanced than that mm -hmm. all right agent so just before we get out of here as i mentioned before the nba is back right now you know a game is broken out in td garden with the um the sixers and the celtics because joel mb just got tied up with marcus smart and um well right now yeah. the volume is off so i don't know what the official yeah i hear watching is. it too you know i hear watching <laughs> it's 63, 63. You, but yeah. yeah and smart apparently has been assessed a technical foul i'm not bothering to waste time with that right now i'm going to give you some nba hot takes AJ. let's get it just to before we get out of here some of them might not be that hot but some of them i think you will find might be a little bit um scorching so in relation to the game that's playing right now mm -hmm. with the philadelphia 76ers and the boston celtics my first hot take is in relation to the 76ers and it's with that big man joel Embiid. no i mean this this hot take may sound a little foolish based on what's happening in this game right now because mm -hmm. If you look at the, the score or the scoring, James Harden currently has 23 points in this game. But my first hot take is that Embiid is going to get frustrated with James Harden when he realizes how little help he gets from the beard in the biggest games and the biggest moments. Huh. Oh, wait, you, you are you waiting on me to react before you go ahead or? Well, yeah, you can, you can, you can react if you. I, 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 that is a real hot take, boy. I, um, I like it, um, because I wasn't thinking anywhere near along those lines. But and and the fact that you mentioned in the big moments, <laughs> no, no, I will definitely be looking out for this. I don't think that's, I don't think it's impossible nor even improbable that this happens, because that <laughs> James Harden, he has a lot to prove, a lot and. We already know the kind of like passion that Embiid has. I, you know what? This is a really good start. I want to continue, man. Go ahead. I, I like this. I like this. No, I know one of the things that we're making mention of coming into this game was that Embiid, not Embiid, sorry, James Harden, he was looking fit, he was looking trim, he was looking good compared. Mm -hmm. But when they showed the side by side photos of Media Day with the last three teams that he started the season with, because this is the third season, third team. He's starting the season with brand new compared to the season before. There's not much of a difference. It is during the regular, it's during the season that Harden tends to let himself go. 
His focus mm. disappears. He tends to overeat. He definitely will beat the Magic City anytime that they're playing in Atlanta. He 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 has his jersey raised in the rafters of a strip club in Houston for a reason. So when you take all that into consideration, I believe that Embiid, who is trying to get over the hump, is going to be frustrated with Wall James Harden at some point during this season. Second hot take. Your guy, Kevin Durant, will have a point to prove this season and have an MVP caliber campaign, especially with the lack of coaching support and Kyrie missing work every once in a while. I did not think I'd hear that one from you. I... Honestly, I had not even thought about him being in that conversation strictly because I, I have little faith in the franchise that he plays for. That faith, it, it waned over the seasons, and I think it almost completely has been depleted now. But that is an, a very interesting take as well. You, 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 I, well, you know better than anyone I would love that, though. You of know course. it better than anyone I would love that. But I, I can't wait to see it. Of course. But the thing is, I mean, what I believe is probable to happen is that Kevin Durant is going to have a season similar to what Jokic had last season, which is that mm. his numbers are going to look really, really good. The team will be there thereabouts. So depending on what the narrative is with the media, because, you know, these things are always narrative-based, then it would determine if he gets the nod for MVP or not okay. that Good was point. number two number three but at this least was... sorry but at least you mm. were suggesting that he will have an mvp caliber type season at least yeah, yeah of course okay i believe okay. that he's going to have a great year this year okay number three the lakers the team that has been near and dear to my heart for so many years until that interloper joined um the lakers will finish no higher than sixth in the Western Conference standings. So no, no. So you're saying that their bounce back is to to argue to possibly scrape into the playoffs by to finishing in the lower. Yeah. Barely in the dungeon. Escape, barely escape the play in the, if the, they the are lucky. Right. If they are lucky. And that uh, luck is is based on Anthony Davis being fit, and we know not to put much faith. Yeah, in so I, Davis again, I can't go against you because I, I, I don't know if I if I trust the roster moves thus far, and as as you know, we everyone loves to say well, like we are not we. I ain't a Braun fan. What am I talking about? The Braun fans as well act like there will never be a time when his play will decrease or diminish. But, I mean, he getting down there slowly, you know, even if it's very slowly, but he getting down there. Mm-hmm. And it, this should be, this Anthony Davis should have taken over this team by now and he just hasn't. And it he doesn't can. seem like, he, I, I was just about to say, it doesn't seem like he will because he, it, it doesn't seem like he can. So, you know what? That is the one off the bat I definitely will agree with. The others I'm more, I, I don't disagree with, but I'm more interested to see if it happens. I feel like I'm on board with you on this one. Completely. Okay. So then, next one, Memphis. 
the Memphis Grizzlies. The Memphis Grizzlies will fall down the standings after being second last season. There's no way they repeat that. They were seventh, no, they were eighth the season before because Mm -hmm. they beat the Warriors in the Mm play-in. Then, I know people have been saying the Suns are due to fall off because they benefited from a lot of injuries with the other teams. So did Memphis. There is no way Memphis finishes that high up after being second last season. They're probably destined for the plane again. Or they're going to be battling the Lakers for that sixth spot. Okay. Okay. This is the one I'm a little more skeptical on. I don't I don't disagree with the with the point about them falling. I think like like you said that they did benefit from injuries to other teams. So that second spot, I don't know if I see that happening again. But I still feel like they might be in that three to five range and not battling for six. But <laughs> I mean we'll see. We'll see. I I I just don't know if I think that their drop off will be that significant. But this is your hot take segment, sir. I'm just living in your world. <laughs> so before I go any further, um, Kirk had some comments with regards to some of the, the previous hot takes I gave. So in terms of KD, he said KD has MVP caliber play, period. His bus driving skills are what are in question. That is your guy, AJ. So I will allow you to respond. It's, I mean, yeah, they, they will always be in question because... He, he never acts like he wants to be a bus driver. He acts like he just wants to be like a, a, a player on a basketball team. And he just wants to play ball. And he, he says this repeatedly in interviews. Um, you, know, I, you know, I always say, I only, I've told you a lot recently that I only defend KD on the court. His off-court antics, I, that, that's for a, another division handles that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I... I his bus driving skills might be what are in question, and I can't even debate that. But at the end of the day, we know what he's capable of. I don't think he needs to be the bus driver particularly. Everyone would like him to be, but he doesn't need to be that. Um, if the man just needs to, to ball out, and he needs a coach. <laughs> That's for sure. Kitty strikes you as he wants. He would love nothing more than to be the extremely talented role player on the team. That he just turns up, does his job, he doesn't even have to talk to the media, he just to... goes on. Yeah, yeah. And try... obviously, I, I, I don't ever doubt either that he wants to win. Um, so I, I would never put that in a question. I do think he's a competitor and he wants to win. But I, I don't think he ever wanted that, like, yeah, you need to be the bus driver type of role. It's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> So then Kurt then asked the question in regards to the Lakers hot take that they don't finish higher than the six before or after the rest trade. I actually will say this is contingent on if they get him traded and what they get back for him. Okay. Because first off, nobody really wants Russ except that Russ is on an, expir- on an expiring contract, which means that they will be in a better position for a free agency coming up at the end of this season. 
Russ being there or not being on the Lakers, if he's playing minutes or he's not really playing minutes, to me does not really move the needle that much because when you look at the rest of the roster and the way how it's been constructed, there are question marks to be had everywhere behind LeBron. I, I do want to ask a quick question about that though, because mm-hmm. I, I, I guess you follow the Lakers a lot more closely than I do. But from what I've seen recently, it seems like there has been some ground reach with regards to his role going forward in the team. And it seems like he may be leading the second unit more so than being a starter. And he may have ex- accepted that. So do you think that if that's the case, that they, the, the organization still will try to trade him this season or that they move forward with him, like trying to lead that second team? If Russ does not play like Russ, then they'll keep him for the season. Because, again, he has an expiring contract and that gives him a lot of money to play with in the coming offseason. Because okay. besides LeBron and Anthony Davis, I do not think the Lakers have many long-term contracts on their books. Okay. I think they're, they're probably just like two other players that have deals that go past this season. The majority of the guys that they bring and LeBron in, is what, two more, two more years? He just re-upped, so I think he is there now until 2026. 2026, so three, okay. Yeah, I think he's there now until 2026. But the majority of the contracts that they have are one-year deals because they try to free up as much cap space as possible every season to see who's available and try to make a run at a marquee talent to bring in to pair with Anthony Davis. Honestly, as much as, you know, Russ has been criticized, I think Anthony Davis is the one that they should be trying to move. You can't trust them. Yes, Russ plays headlessly because you know that's my nickname for him, headless. But um, while that is the case, you know that Russ probably is going to play seventy-eight or seventy-seven games a season. Anthony Davis misses too much time. When mm-hmm. he's healthy and he's playing well, he looks like one of the most dominant players in the game. But that doesn't happen very often and he is both physically and mentally soft i've said this before because Mm -hmm. you can't be seven feet tall and you want to play small forward you're not kevin durant sir and even kevin durant (laughs) has a post game he goes down and suddenly up with the big guys all anthony davis wants to do is to stay on the perimeter and shoot jump shots he doesn't want to go inside and when he's going up against a, a center who has some physicality to him, then he, he shrinks. And when he plays against someone like Yanis, for example, Yanis dominates him every time. So there, there are lots of things that the Lakers could do to improve their roster. There's lots of things mm-hmm. that they should do to make themselves better. Are they going to do it? I don't think so. And that's why I don't believe that they're going to finish any higher than six. They just gave LeBron a new contract and LeBron doesn't put in the amount of effort consistently during the regular season. They just gave Rob Palinka a new contract, and Palinka has built two of the worst rosters the Lakers probably have ever had. So they're making moves. Are they making quality moves? Are they making good moves? I really don't think so. So I don't see them I don't see them finishing higher than six. But for my next hot team, the next team that it has been making some moves, and I believe that their moves are going to put them in a lot better stead. Is the New Orleans Pelicans? I have the Pelicans mm-hmm. 
finishing above the Lakers. They are going to be a playoff team this year. And that is playoff. Yes. Not even not play, play in. in. Playoff team. And that is even with the anticipated injury for Zion Williamson. Because he's not gonna play he's not gonna play seventy seven games this season. Yeah. But the Pelicans are going to be a playoff team this year. Okay. Okay. Um, Pelicans were what last year? Like, what did they? The Pelicans, oh. fin- they got knocked out in the playing. It was a playing, right? All right. All right. Okay. And so you mentioned the roster moves. I I can't remember offhand what they did, except I know they they extended CJ. So besides mm-hmm. that, what are the other moves that you were mentioning that you think puts them in better stead? Well, it's, it's not just... Well, bringing in CJ to me was a very good move mm-hmm. because they needed better production at the guard spots. Mm-hmm. So having CJ McCollum, extending him and keeping him there you know, for the future is going to work out very well for them going forward. They still have Brandon Ingram, who is under contract. Um, the forward Herb Jones, he mm-hmm. looks pretty good. He looks like if he is going to be a solid player for them. And then the coaching, coaching still mm-hmm. matters. And their coach, his name escapes me right now, was doing a very, Billy Jones, I think his name is. He was doing mm-hmm. a very, very good job last season. No, mm-hmm. there's a they, they have a year under another additional year under him then are going to be better for it um jose alvarado who says that he is the uh the light skinned um patrick beverly just better um he looks like if he is going to be you know that good pest on the on the well as a guard and you know guarding the wing positions i believe in the pelicans the pelicans are going to be a really exciting team to watch and whatever they get from Zion, they're only going to be better for it. So from that perspective, Understood. I believe that they have what it takes to get into the playoffs. Not even the play-in, the playoffs. The playoffs. That's fair. Fair enough. And I understand the analysis. Fair. All right. So the the question that most people will want to know is, who do I have picked to come out of the conferences and who is going to win the chip. And I know this is a way too early prediction, but as, as I always say, to be the best, you have to beat the best, right? So, in doing, I'll start with the Eastern Conference, because when I say that, then I'd give away the bag for the Western Conference. I actually think that the Miami Heat are going to be the Eastern Conference champions this year. I think that the upheaval in Boston it's going to be too much for them to overcome, especially when they get to the playoffs. I do not believe in Philadelphia 76ers, as you've heard me start out with my statement about Joel Embiid, when the lights get bright, they come on like 5,000 watt bulbs, and he is a fragile plant that can't take the heat. So I don't believe in the Sixers. And what I do think that Kevin Durant is going to have an MVP caliber season with the Nets. They're being coached by Steve Nash. 
So from that perspective, I can't trust those. I can't trust them either. The Heat, to me, have the best combination of talent and coaching in the Eastern Conference. And from that perspective, I give it to the Heat. And like I said, to be the best, you have to beat the best. And the best in the West are the Golden State Warriors. I have the Warriors advancing to the finals. And then when they get to the finals, then that championship pedigree will come through once again. Steph Curry is going to get ring number five, which, you know, for the whole conversation about LeBron being the goal, if another man has five rings in your era and you only have four, well, anyhow, we won't get into that today. I'm just going to put that out there for the people. I think you're muted. I'm not hearing anything you said. I'm sorry. I was saying. I was saying. And I, 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 you know what you're doing by making that comment. And I was just saying that. Uh, you know, fair, fair point. So Kurt asked a question. If I'm dissing the mm -hmm. Bucks, so I am not necessarily dissing the Bucks because I am a huge believer in Giannis Antetokounmpo. I love Giannis both on the court and off the court. Giannis, I'm a huge Giannis fan. But when I just spoke about coaching. That is where my concern comes with the the Bucks. And welcome, Mark. Glad to have you you with us. The situation, my problem with the Bucks, is that Bud, Coach Bud, is one of the worst coaches. He's the prop. Well, he's the second worst coach, at the top of either conference, second only to Steve Nash. You cannot tell me that your best option, your best production or chance at getting points and plays is to give Yanis the ball at the top of the key and let him decide if he's going to drive and kick, drive and finish, or just take a shot from where he's standing. When the Bucks are in trouble, that is their go-to play. Give the ball to Yanis and let Yanis figure it out. That is not coaching. <laughs> that, that, that is over-reliance and over-dependence on your superstar. That is my problem with the Bucks. Until Giannis either finds himself in another situation, which is probably not going to happen because he's paid a boatload of money, and he absolutely loves it in Milwaukee, and Milwaukee absolutely loves him, until they get a better coach which is probably not going to happen because of that one championship that Bud was able to win. Oh my days. Until they get a better coach in there, the Bucks are going to be a very good team because they have a lot of talent. They have good offensive and defensive players and players that play on both sides of the ball. Giannis especially. Drew Holiday, one of my favorite guards in the NBA. They have they have the talent that they are going to be there or thereabouts. But if they come up against a good access and O's coach, that's where they struggle. And Miami, again, has the to me, they have the best combination in terms of on-the-court talent and coaching. Because I didn't think that Spolster was that good of a coach. 
until they noticed what he was doing since LeBron left. You know, they, they, he, yeah. they did struggle for a while, but now they are a juggernaut in the East. They yeah. cannot be counted out at any point in time. And that comes down to coaching. The development of their players, that is coaching. That is why I will always put the heat above the Bucks, because especially you could imagine Yanis going down to South Beach. That is a dream. That is <laughs> that is the dream. But no, yeah, I, I yeah, I, I I don't believe in Coach Bud at all. So that's much I know. Not much I know. Yeah. Annually, I say that Coach Bud is the worst coach in the playoffs. But then Steve Nash, you know, he's he's not with the Nets. So he's not the second worst coach in the playoffs. <laughs> Anyhow, Adrian, we've been here a while. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, it's open night of the NBA. So, you know, we had to get that segment in as well. So I have to yeah. account for that. Yeah. All good. It's true. We, we've been here for almost an hour and a half. The football yeah. talk took us almost an hour. And, and then the basketball <laughs> talk took us for the next 28 minutes or so. So that is, a, that is a great place to land the plane. We thank you guys for joining us as always. For those of you who are new to our channel, please go ahead and like this video, hit subscribe and clap that bell so that you'll be notified every time we are live. We are here every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. That is until the clocks change. Unfortunately, we can't adjust our times when the clocks change because, you know, boys got to work. So we can't exactly start the show <laughs> at um, what would be 7 p.m. Well, 6 p.m. for AJ and 5 p.m. for me. So we will then be seeing you guys at 9 p.m. when the clocks change. And of course, the World Cup is coming up, so there'll be a lot more soccer talk as we get closer and closer to that. The basketball is going. Right now, the score is 93-82 in favor of the Celtics. So we, yeah, we'll just leave it there for now. So as always, guys, that is AJ. He is the green. I am Ken, I am the Beige, and we will see you next time.